Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. Before the pandemic, gun violence in the Bay Area had been dropping for years. This is thanks in part to the hard work that community groups were doing, especially with young people. But so much of that work depends on meeting people face to face. And the COVID-19 pandemic took that away. The gains that violence interventionists have made in reducing gun violence are really fragile. You know, they require consistent interaction. Gun violence is still a big problem that disproportionately affects Black and Latino communities. And last year, it went back up. Today, the pandemic's toll on years of gun violence prevention efforts. I'm Devin Kadiyama. Welcome to the Bay. Hi, I'm Sasha Koka, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse, golden state. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey, that's where you go to Sunshine State. But we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. Before the pandemic, a few cities in the Bay Area were really becoming national models for gun violence reduction. Abene Clayton is a reporter with The Guardian's Guns and Lies in America project. So between 2007 and 2017, Richmond saw a 67% drop in gun violence. And at that same time, Oakland saw a 44% decline. 
it's been decades of work. People that I've talked to have been at this since, you know, the mid 90s. When did we start to see a rise in gun violence here in the Bay Area? In Richmond, gun violence really started to tick up right in tandem with the pandemic spread and with the earliest shutdown measures. 2020 was on track to being one of the quietest and safest years in the city. And then the shutdowns happened and people were home more often and we don't have exact causation yet. But after those things occurred, we saw our first murder, which was um, Anthony Ramsey, a few minutes away from his mother's house. Anthony Ramsey was 43, and in 2020, he was living in Richmond with his mom, Carol Ramsey. Um, And even though he was living in Richmond at the time, he was a San Francisco native, was born there and grew up there, met um, the mother of his sons there. April 2nd, um, it seemed like a pretty normal day, and Anthony told his mom that he was just going to make a quick errand. Around 7 or 8 in the evening, Carol noticed that he wasn't home yet, assumed that he went to visit his kids, and uh, didn't think much of it until later that night when a neighbor told her to turn on the news, and she saw her son's car crashed into a light pole and um, saw that he was shot and died at the scene. Early on, I spoke with his mother, as well as the mother of two of his sons, Tisha Harvey, who's really been the representative for the family, trying to get his name out in newspapers and make sure people are keeping an eye out for any suspects. This is a father, this is a brother, this is a son, this is a cousin, this is a man who gave so much of his life to a community for free Mm. for years. Mm. Tisha she said that whoever shot and killed Anthony didn't just kill one person. They affected a generation of people. Mm, that's real. Anthony had four sons, was a beloved football coach throughout Northern California, and had a new nephew. And he was taken away from all of those people and then some. So do we know what happened to him? No, police don't know. They know that he was at a stoplight or stop sign. A car pulled up alongside him and started shooting into the passenger doors. When he tried to drive away, he crashed into a light pole and the shots in his side killed him. After that, it just seemed like every other week, uh, a few times a month, there was fatal and non-fatal uh, shootings in the city. And in Oakland, around late March, April, and then into the summer, it just exploded. And police in that city say they were on track to having an all-time low year for gun violence. And all of that was really disrupted. Do we know what kinds of gun violence increased in 2020 in the Bay Area? especially in Oakland and Richmond, where you did most of your reporting? 
A lot of them are unsolved. Police don't have many leads and both them and the violence interventionist that I talked to really are just making their most educated guesses and say that it is a combination of, um, you know, uh, maybe robberies gone wrong and retaliatory gunfire, but all at the community level. Abene says 2020 closed out to be a more deadly year than 2019. And while it's too early to say exactly why that is, community advocates in Oakland and Richmond she talked to say the pandemic took away a lot of safe havens for mostly Black and Latino youth. One that uh, is really well known is called the Rise Center, and it is a place that uh, is really dedicated to being both uh, queer affirming and hood affirming. You can come from any kind of walk of life and not be judged and they'll help you find a niche when someone is unfortunately shot and killed in the community. This is a place that young folks know they can go to even just sit in silence and be on their phone and just be in a space where they have people around them who care and are equipped to help them process these feelings. They have everyone from, um, you know, a young man who runs a, a men's group, you know, or a young man's group to train clinicians, you know, who are specializing in trauma and therapy to artists and poets who can help people um, process their feelings in whatever way feels natural. And how exactly did the pandemic disrupt all the work that the RISE Center was doing? So for the RISE Center, their building was really um, a hub in the community and somewhere that young people flocked to during and after school. And they had to shut down because of uh, COVID-19 and switch to virtual. And there are other organizations in the city that are dedicated to going into schools, to waiting in the parks where young people cross through to meet them. And even if they're just like, you know, um, giving them a, a hug, a high five, asking how school's going, how's your mom, in the halls and in the parks. It was imp an important part of these young people's day and the, the violence interventionists who did that work had to switch to doing house calls. You know, They weren't able to go into the school where they knew young people would be. Uh, did you talk to anybody about how hard that is to do on Zoom right now? So at RISE, I talked to one of their clinicians about how the switch to digital was. And she said that um, it is valuable to be able to see the student, but it, it pales in comparison. She mentioned being able to see somebody's body language, whether they're slumped over, whether their head is hanging down a little bit whether they're talking more slowly, whether their eye contact isn't the same as it would be when they're feeling 100%. You just don't have that when you're looking at somebody through Zoom. So try as you might to kind of go through the motions of checking in and, and doing everything you would try to do in a physical setting. You can't do it as thoroughly. I talked to other uh, violence interventionists who are with the Office of Neighborhood Safety in Richmond, and they mentioned just how hard it is to get, you know, a group of eight to 12 young boys who are antsy, whose parents have kept them in the house because of COVID to sit down and, and talk through their feelings and have conversations that they were having before, but now it's on Zoom and, 
you know, young folks are more likely to perhaps be on their phone or just feel like, what's the point? You know, I can't see these people in person. So it, it, it just absolutely changed everything. Because building relationships takes a lot of trust, it takes a lot of time, has the pandemic had any long-term effects on gun violence prevention work? Yeah, I think so. You know, like you said, it already takes years of consistent in-person interaction and support to get a young person to the point where they say, you know what, yeah, I'm actually going to go ahead and go to this job fair and I'm going to really make an effort to have more peace in my life. It takes a lot of work to get a young person to say that, especially if they've been traumatized for years. That work has to restart. You have to reestablish those bonds. And you also have to help them work through what's happened with the pandemic, with the summer of protest over racial injustice, with the insurrection. Everything that has happened in the world since still needs to be processed and worked through. There are just layers and probably a good year and a half, if not a couple years of just uh, rebuilding and getting back to square one before uh, people can really get back into the work that was happening before. They have a lot of ground to make up. What does the rise in homicides during this pandemic say about trying to stop gun violence in America? The gains that uh, violence interventionists have made in reducing gun violence are really fragile. You know, they require consistent interaction. And the moment that that is gone, we see gun violence rates go up, you know, it's a really it's a really delicate situation that requires constant maintenance that you just really can't do when there's a you know an airborne virus going around Abane, thank you so much for talking with us yes of course Thanks to Abine Clayton, reporter with The Guardian's Guns and Lies in America project. We'll leave you a link to her story and a transcript of this episode in our show notes. This episode was produced by Erica Cruz Guevara, Kiana Mogadam, myself, and our editor, Alan Montecilio. The Bay is produced by your local public media station, KQED. Our podcast leadership team is Jessica Placek, Erica Aguilar, Vinnie Tong, Ethan Tovin Lindsay, and Holly Kernan. I'm Devin Kadiyama. That's it from us. Talk to you next time. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? Its history, its people, its unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out the Bay Curious book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on the Bay Curious podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get the Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading!
Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member. Get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks.